0: The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast.
1: Colossians, we're going to start in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to get to Colossians 2. I want to talk to you about something that is going to be very, very beneficial if you will take the time and invest the time in finding out what this is. This morning, I don't have the time really to go through and really get into the weeds and explain each and every detail. I want to basically introduce this to you so that you can see what this truth is, so that you can start to look into it and find out more for yourself. When you begin to study this and when you begin to look into this, this will be one of those aha moments in your life. This will be one of those times when you realize, I can't believe that I've never pursued this before. If you struggle in your personal devotions, if you struggle finding something that interests you, that draws you into it, I'm talking about that thing that doesn't Get done because it's time to do devotions, but that thing that draws you to so when you have an extra moment or you have some more time and you can jump into it, this is the subject. This is the thing that will be a benefit. It'll be a help. It'll be an encouragement to you. It's something that's all over scripture. It's a doctrine that's not listed specifically by the name that we call it in the Bible, but it's all over once you find it. It's a doctrine called union with Christ. Union with Christ, it is something like the Trinity. You don't ever see the Trinity written. You don't see that word written in the Bible. But once you recognize what the Trinity is and you begin to look for it, you see it all over the pages of Scripture. And this is specifically important to what we talked about last night because we said, hey, the way forward, it is difficult. When God begins to whittle your army, when God takes you to a place where you are at the end of your rope and you say, okay, what is the next step? This union with Christ, what we're going to talk about here this morning is absolutely the thing that is going to show you and help you take that next step. It will be a difficult time. It may be a hardship, but you will know what to do once you begin to understand and mind the depths and the truth and the wonderful things that are here. You see, I believe most of you here at Pensacola Christian College, you have a desire to want to serve the Lord. You have a desire to want to grow in the Lord. And most Christians, when they get their first aha moment is when they understand the joy of salvation. Do you remember that day? Do you remember when Jesus Christ saved you? Maybe like me, If you're like me, I got saved at a very young age. I don't remember the day and time. I don't have the date, but I do remember talking with my father. I was on the top bunk, and as he was talking to me about Jesus Christ, I remember placing my faith and trust in Christ and the excitement that I had in my heart, even as a young child, and knowing that Jesus Christ had forgiven my sins. And after that, though, oftentimes in my Christian walk, I would get bogged down. I would begin to battle with how to grow, how to move forward. How is it that I'm going to get past this? How am I going to grow in this step? How am I going to get to the point where I'm actually able to stand before God and him look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's a burden that many people have. In fact, that was happening with the OG Christians in the New Testament. The, the original ones were the ones that also struggled with this. And many times after Paul would come and preach or after another person would come in and establish a church, false preachers would come in and they would say, hey, you need to do this. Add this to Christ or add this to Christ or add this. And it would pull us away. Not only that, but sometimes we as Christians will get locked into something outside of the scripture as the key. And we'll, we'll start to define holiness by what it is that we put on our bodies or what it is that we put into our bodies or where it is that we allow ourselves to go or what it is that we allow ourselves to watch. And we'll look at these different things and we'll say, okay, this is what holiness is or this is what righteousness is. And we start to focus on things instead of focusing on Christ. And what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at and then I'm going to give you a quick illustration of what this union with Christ will actually do in your life. Now, for you. For those of you that want to study and you want to get more into this, it's this very simple study. Get out of Concordance, take out, get out the, uh, the Bible app, whatever it is that you have, and start searching for phrases like in him, in Christ, in Jesus, with him, with Christ, with Jesus. Study in you or in us and start looking at those different things and start to just make a catalog of all of the different things that are true about our union with Christ. You have heard these verses all of your life, but you may not have thought about the significance of what it means. You see, there is a desire to want to grow in the Lord, and so we will look at something and say, okay, I need to improve in this. Have you ever heard a message, and maybe the Lord laid on your heart the message maybe from the fruit of the Spirit about love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, and you realize, wow, I don't have that joy. I don't have that love. I don't have that peace. Maybe you struggle with anxiety, or maybe you struggle with depression, and you've got something different going on, and you say, I really don't have that. I'm struggling with it. I want to have that in my life. And so we focus on that joy or we focus on that peace and we try to pursue that peace instead of enjoying our union with Christ. And as we talk through this, when I preach this to individuals, it's interesting how many individuals have a look on their face of honest, absolute, no idea what I'm talking about. It's not a look of recognition. Okay? Okay. Now that you have been a part of Pensacola Christian College and you know what it's like to go to a Christian college, when you talk to somebody else that has gone to college, if they haven't gone to Pensacola and you try to explain to them how college life is different, they're going to look at you with a certain confusion on their face because college life here is different than in other schools. But when you meet somebody else and you talk about certain things and they know and they have that recognition of, okay, and they know what a, they they change the names of things throughout the years. I don't know what they call the the hall monitors or hall supervisors or or prayer leaders or uh, the different things, the Panhellenic Council, all of those things. When you come across another person that's been to Pensacola, there's this recognition. And they go, okay, I know what you're talking about. They still have D.C.? They still have D.C.? Disciplinary Committee, is that still a thing? No, they don't do that. Back when I was in school, if you did something really dumb, they didn't just write you a demerit, they put your name on a list so everybody could see that you did something really dumb and you had to go to D.C. And the worst thing about D.C. was you honestly had no, sometimes no idea why you were going. So you'd get there, they'd hand you an envelope, and it was, it was kind of like a lottery. <laughs> you'd have this envelope and you'd look and you'd get one of the deans, you'd sit down, the dean would open up the, and then they'd start asking you questions and you'd go, oh, this is what we're talking about, okay. Or maybe that wasn't everybody, maybe that was just me. But that was, a, that was something that was very, very different. And so if, if, you're, if you're not aware of something and you can't recognize it, you're not going to be able to really hook into it. So take the time after this message. This is not one of the messages that is super fun, there's a lot of laughter, a lot of different. This is a a Bible truth message that will be transformational if you'll take the time to put in the effort to figure out what it is. Are you there in Colossians chapter 2? I just want to introduce this to you. We'll have a word of prayer, then I want to introduce the basic idea of union with Christ. Look at it as it shows in Colossians and give you a quick illustration. And then let's you head out the door. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we look into your word. Help us to see truth. Lord, I know that there are projects due and there are things that have to happen later today. Lord, I know there are probably quizzes or tests or something coming up even right after this hour. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to focus in on your word, to understand this truth. Lord, whet our appetite for the reality, the truth, what we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would work as only you can. In Christ's precious name, amen. This idea of union with Christ was introduced by Jesus himself. He said in John 6, 56... When he's talking about salvation, he says, He that eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. Now, there are many different doctrines that have come out of that verse because people misunderstood what he was saying. Just a couple of verses later, he says, It's not my flesh that's important. It's the words that I speak that are important. He's talking about taking in the truths, but he says, If you take in my truths, you will live in me, and I will live in you. You're probably familiar with John 15. Abide in me. And I in you, the Bible says. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, you can no more except you abide in me. And see, that's what's foolish about looking at a sermon on love or a sermon on joy or a sermon on peace and saying, okay, I need to get this peace. You don't ever walk by an orange tree and see it struggling trying to produce fruit. It's not sitting there. You don't walk by and hear the orange tree grunting and growing, going, and it pops out an orange. It doesn't happen. If the orange tree is healthy, what's going to happen? Fruit's going to be popping out everywhere. You're never going to walk by an orange tree working out. This year I'm going to have some massive orange. You don't see that. And many times as a Christian, I would hear a message on how to be a better parent or how to be a better husband or how to be a better Christian. I would say, okay. And I would start struggling and I would start working to try to produce that fruit. And that's pointless. And Jesus Christ himself said, no, abide in me. Enjoy the union that you have with me and let me abide in you. You can't produce fruit unless you understand this union. Now, this idea of union with Christ has basically two different ideas. The first idea is Christ in you. And the second idea is you are in Christ. Now, let me, let me show you some of these. You're probably familiar with some of these, but let me introduce it. We are in Christ. You're familiar with 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be... In Christ, he is what? New creature. You've heard that. But you've probably, like me, you focused on that new creature. Okay, well, if I'm, if I'm in Christ, well, then now I'm new. But the point of that verse is not just to say that you're new, but that newness happens because of your being in Christ. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor slave, male nor female. It says we, we're not looked at by God as uh, whether or not if we're profitable because of our good looks or our nationality or our job. He says we are all one. In Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 says we are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.10 says you were created in Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 4.16 says the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those who are dead, they are still in Christ. And they will rise first. But not only does the Bible tell you that we're in Christ, it also says that Christ is in us. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says to examine yourselves, prove yourselves, to see if you're in the faith, whether you are in Christ Jesus, that Christ is in you. Ephesians 3.17, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Now I know as we're going through this doctrine, we're going to try to tie it up here at the end so you understand it. But what we are doing today, I do not have the time to go through and delineate and actually teach you all of the ins and outs of all of the things that you are in Christ and all of the ways that Christ is in you and the significance of what that means to you. Today is to whet your appetite to see what it is so that you will dive into it. Listen, if you will take this, you can spend the rest of your college life, this will take care of your devotional time. This will take care of your personal Bible study. You cannot mind the depths of what it means to be in Christ. There are a few passages that... Combine both Christ in us and we in Christ. The probably the most famous is Galatians two twenty. The Bible says, "I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me." The church at Galatians was having a problem. Because Paul came and he taught them. He planted the church. But as soon as he left, other teachers came in and said, listen, you're saved. You know Christ is your Savior. Here's the way forward. And they got into legalism. And they thought, okay, we have to do this and we have to do this and we have to do this. And they started focusing on these different things. Then you have the Corinthian church on the flip side. The Corinthian church was not into legalism. The Corinthian church was into, they were were just absolutely lawless. They thought it doesn't matter what we do. And again, the problems they got into, and it's either extreme. You could be way over on this side, involved in things you should not be involved in because you do not understand your union with Christ. Or you could be over here trying to keep a list, trying to do things, trying to work hard, trying to impress God, trying to do everything so people will recognize that you're a good Christian, but you don't enjoy, and you don't produce that fruit. Because young people, here's the truth. And I did not believe this truth when I was in college. Serving Christ is a blast. Did you hear how many amens just echoed through the crowd just then from you college students? I remember when I was a college student, I specifically remember one evangelist coming up saying, I can't wait to get to heaven. Heaven's going to be just like church. And I was sitting in the seat over in the DHA and I thought, oh no. (laughs) The choir's going to have purple robes. There's good, just like church, my heart did not go yay hooray. And when there was opportunities, this is going to sound really bad, but when there was opportunities for extra church, I did not think, oh boy, more church. I thought, oh, more church. Now I knew that a good Christian went to church, and I went to church. I sang in that choir. I had a purple robe. I took notes. I was a good little Baptist boy, littler Baptist boy than I am now. I did all the things you were supposed to do, but if you would have looked at me and been able to put some kind of lasso of truth, if one exists around me, and say, do you enjoy serving God? I would say, sometimes, but very few times. If you'd have said, do you love reading your Bible? No, I love it. Do you love soul winning? Uh, I don't love it. There's lots of other stuff I loved. I love loved fun activities. I love sports. I know it's hard to believe, but at one point in time in my life, I could play sports. I love doing different things. But I never truly enjoyed Christ. And the key, Jesus Christ did not redeem you to make your life boring. He redeemed you to show you all the riches in him. And yet so many Christians don't enjoy that. They don't honestly connect joy with Christianity. That's the way I was. And there are so many people, they're slogging through the Christian life. They're they're doing what they're supposed to, and they know that it's right. And there are moments of joy, but it is not a sustained joy and this, this overwhelming sense of, wow, this is a great opportunity that we have. Now, we're gonna look here in Colossians 2. This is a very broad, quick scene and then we'll have an illustration, then we'll end it. Look at Colossians 2, verse 1. Paul says, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts would be comforted, being knit together in love, unto the riches and full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Paul says, You need to be understand that there is a false teaching out there that will lead you away from Christ. The Corinthian church was following the false teaching. The Galatian church was following the false teaching. The church at Colossae hadn't yet been mired in either one. So Paul is writing to them to tell them what they need to do. And young people, based on where you grew up and based on your perception of Christianity, there is a high likelihood that you have accepted some different false teaching. That spirituality is tied in with what you do. Or spirituality is tied in with where you go. Or spirituality is tied in with some different things in the Christian life. And it's not something that brings joy. It's something that you struggle with. And Paul says, I want you to know where you can have all of these treasures, all of these wonderful things. Look at verse 6. He says, as he has therefore received Christ, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ? By grace through faith. We accepted the truth of what God told us. That is what union with Christ is, accepting the truth of what he tells us and living in that truth. So Paul says, as you received him, walk in him. Now look what he says in verses 7 and following. He's going to give us a quick picture of all the things that we are in Christ. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as he had been taught, adding thereunto with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He said, man, your root, your, your sustenance, your life flow comes from being in Christ, not after following the rudiments of the world. Not after following the teachings of men. It is in Christ. Now, if men's teachings are teaching you more about Christ and how to identify with Christ and enjoy that union with Christ, then yes, that can help, but it can also easily astray if they focus on something other than this union. Look at what it says in verse 9 For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then Paul starts to list all the the profit that we have of this union. Verse 10 You are complete in him. You know what? There are some people here this morning. You do not feel complete. There are some folks here you think, well, I'll be complete once I have a boyfriend or once I have a girlfriend or once I have a fiance or once I don't have a boyfriend. I'll be complete if my roommate will quit college and leave me alone. I'll be complete if my roommate just showers once. Maybe that's some of you. I'll be complete if I get my bill paid. I'll be complete if I can have this. You have something pinned in something else and you're putting your hopes and your, and your dreams in this. Well, if I could just do this and if I could just do this, then... And Paul says, No, you've got everything in Christ. And there are so many Christians wandering around trying to find completeness in people outside of Christ. And Paul says, You're complete in Him. Look at verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised. Now, this circumcised is talking about being cut away, separated from sin. There are people in this room, you are struggling, you are battling with sin, you are having a difficult time getting past this addiction, getting past this problem, getting past this fear. And you're trying this, and you're trying this. And those things aren't the key, it's in Christ. You're circumcised in him. Look at verse 12, buried with him in baptism. You're immersed in Christ. It's not just some of you, it is all of you that is in Christ. And you're risen with him through the faith of the operation with God. You have already experienced being risen from the dead. You don't have to worry if it's going to happen because you've already done it because you've done it in him. It's an amazing thing. Keep going. Verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have quickened together with him, having forgiven you all the trespasses. So he says, you have this completeness, you have this joy, you have this resurrection, you have this victory over sin. All of it, young people, is not in an accountability partner. It's not in going to church. It's not in reading your Bible. It is in him. And as I preach and as I look at you, I can still see the look on your face. It's like, what does that mean? And it's such an important thing that you haven't mined the truth of yet. And then Paul goes on, look what he says in verse 16. He says, let no man therefore judge you In meat or drink or respect of a holy day. Look at verse 18. He says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. He says, don't let somebody trick you into thinking you've got to do something to be more spiritual. I remember when I was in college, a guy came and was talking about his devotional practice, how he read 10 chapters a day. So I started trying to read 10 chapters a day. I thought, okay, he's spiritual. He's a good preacher. He reads 10 chapters a day. I'm going to read 10 chapters a day. I started reading 10 chapters a day. Then another guy came and talked about how he was reading 20 chapters I said, well, okay, well, if 10 chapters makes you spiritual, 20 chapters must make you uber spiritual. So I started reading 20 chapters, and it got to be this task where I would get through. You know what I'm talking about? Remember the teacher says, okay, you have to have 4,000 pages read by Tuesday? And you go, great, and you read it. You know how you read that? You get through it. That's how I was reading the Bible. And I would get done, i go, hmm, for some reason that didn't speak to me today. No kidding. I'm reading through it so fast. I'd come to church, I'd sing in choir, I'd do all these things, but I was empty. And Paul says, these things, look down, verse 23 says, these things do have a show of wisdom. Sometimes it makes sense. I mean, honestly, I'm not, don't go home today and say, hey, I like our chapel speaker. He said reading the Bible is no use. That's not what I'm saying. Don't call your parents and say, hey, we had brother go for that. And he says, don't read the Bible. Mm -mm. But I used to think that reading the Bible was the key. That all I had to do was this spiritual exercise. It made sense to me. It made sense to me to take notes in chapel. It made sense to me to get involved in different outreaches. And it does make sense. But what Paul is saying is, is if you try to go out of Christ, you're going to miss it. Now look at chapter 3. We're almost finished. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ. So young people, let me ask you a question. Are you risen with Christ? All right, there's three of you. How about the rest of you? Are you risen with Christ? I'm not asking, do you know what it means to be risen with Christ? How many of you feel risen with Christ? Some of you are still aren't awake. Some of you are sleeping right now. I can't see you. And you're thinking, I'm risen with Christ. What does that mean? Yes, I'm, I'm going to say amen. He just yelled at us. Some of you just said amen then. You're still not paying attention. You were sitting there, amen, amen. And you're back on your phone. If you're risen with Christ, if you are, that's the truth, Here's the key to enjoying union with Christ. Look at this verse. If you're risen with Christ, think Christ, think, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Here's what happens, young people. Everything in your being, though your spirit is redeemed, your flesh still struggles. Paul says in chapter seven of Romans, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing those things. There's this battle inside of me. Your flesh is battling against us. You do not naturally go to and think of the union with Christ. You think of other things. So when something terrible happens in your family, you don't think of your union with Christ, you think of something terrible in your family. When your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you, you don't think of your union with Christ, you think of how sad and lonely you are. When you lose all of your money and don't have anything to pay the rest of your bill and don't have your pass to take your exams, you start worrying about not being able to take your exams instead of looking at your union with Christ. Everything in this world is geared to get you to look away from Christ. And Paul says, so I need you to do two things. Start thinking about it and start setting your affections on it. Now let me give you a quick illustration and we're done. My brother was about nine years, he is about nine years older than me. When he was a senior in high school, I was in third grade. My brother's class was the oldest class in our small Christian school. So when he was in ninth grade, we didn't have anything above that. So when he was in ninth grade, our varsity basketball team was all ninth graders and they got drilled by everybody. In 10th grade, Highest class, they got killed by everybody. Well, by 11th and 12th grade, we actually started winning games. And by 12th grade, kind of became a powerhouse. And there was one school that we played that always beat us up. We were going, and this is the year we were going to beat them. We went to the school. Now, I did not hear the announcement that you gave this morning about cheering positively. I was in third grade. I didn't didn't believe in cheering positively. I'm from Michigan. Michigan, there's a specific skill that all Michiganders are taught, and it's called brutal sarcasm. And, and I learned it in third grade. And so we go there, and my brother's team is beating this other team. And I'm having such fun, and I'm coming up with all kinds of quips, but the team can't hear me. So I left where we were sitting, and I went and sat in the bleachers behind the bench. And I started ripping on them. Now, young people, I was not enjoying my union with Christ. I'm not, I am not saying that you should do this. Okay, this was a bad thing. But I was third grade. So I give myself a pass. But man, I got behind those guys. I started talking about them. I started questioning their ability to play basketball. Started questioning their manhood. Made fun of their mothers, their grandmothers. (laughs) I mean, I just went through the whole thing. And we're in the gym. There's tons of people around. I'm back there. I'm just yelling at them. They're turning around looking at me. And I'm like, yeah, you know. Ra ra re, look at the score, quit turning here, maybe you should put your attention. I just was ripping on having a blast. We won the game, me and my buddy Chuck, we go to play. Now this school, was renting a public school facility, it was this huge facility, me and Chuck are going around, running around, having fun in the hallways and different stuff, and I'm running through the hallways, and as I'm running through the hallways, the star basketball player of the other team comes out of the guy's locker room, and it's just me and Chuck and this guy. And as we come up, I run out, I see him, and he looks at me, and all of a sudden I realize, ooh, I probably shouldn't be in a back hallway with this guy alone. He's a little bit bigger than me. And then I thought, maybe Chuck and I can take him. Chuck? 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 Chuck was gone. He disappeared. And I remember, I will never forget, this player looked at me and knew exactly who I was. And he dropped his gym bag. He started walking toward me. And he had this look on his face that did not seem to say to me, We're going to rejoice in the Lord together. (laughs) As he was walking toward me, I began to be anxious for something. I did not remember what Philippians said, be anxious for nothing. I began to get very anxious. And I started thinking, this is is going to be painful. And I thought, maybe I could run away from him. But I knew I couldn't outrun a 12th grader. I was a pudgy little 3rd grader. I thought okay, how can I, and as I was sitting there planning my demise, another player from the same team walked out of the locker room. As I was sitting there getting ready to cry, that was my big defense. If I cry before he hits me, maybe I can ward him off. So I'm trying to push out some tears. This guy's walking towards me. Another guy walks out and says, hey, isn't that go Force brother? And he stopped in his tracks. And I thought, oh, (laughs) that's right. If you mess with me. Now, honestly, he didn't know that my brother probably would have stood on the sideline and said, yeah, beat the snot out of him. That kid was disrespectful. (laughs) He was yelling stuff. He's got to learn. He's got to learn to fight his battles. But he stopped walking forward. And young people, immediately I began to enjoy my union with my brother. You know what? The actual situation did not change. There was still this gigantic, hulking, senior high basketball player that wanted to kill me, but now I wasn't worried about that. And guess what I started doing in the back hallway with now two guys off the team? I started talking about the grandmothers again. <laughs> and told them, you couldn't even try something on a third grader, you little wuss. And, started going, and I was just enjoying and soaking in the reality that I was one with might go forth. And Mike Goforth could protect me. This big guy, he could have reached over and ended me, probably with one good slap. But I wasn't worried about it. And you know what, young people? I don't know what's going to face you. I don't know how God is whittling down your life. But when you get to the point where you are focused and you have set your affections on your union with Christ, and you have sought those things which are above, the devil, the world, the flesh can throw anything at you. And you can still talk about their grandmothers. And you can still say, Bring it. I hope you brought your lunch because this is going to be a fun time because you know who you are one with, what he is capable of, and perfect love casts out fear. And all of a sudden, you can be anxious for nothing but by everything. With prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And it's not through being a good Christian. It's through enjoying your union with Christ.
0: You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.